chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 to 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound from that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep?' Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Thanks, John. Morning, everyone. Happy New Year again. And to you at home, maybe uh, you weren't here last week, so that's the first time we've been able to say it for you. Boys and girls, there is a... And mums and dads, maybe you'd like to do this as well. There's a colouring-in competition. There is a maze... And there is a word puzzle, if you would like to do that. Um, I don't have any chocolates with me to reward you with today, but if you do it and complete it, bring it to me, put your name on it, and I'll give you an IOU. (laughs) I'm good for it. And next week I'll bring some chocolates or something like that. Or would you prefer money? Which would you prefer? Lollies, did I hear? Chocolate. Oh, money. Okay. Five cents next. 
Sorry? He didn't say how much. It's money. Anyway, that's available because, as Pastor Tracy has said, we would certainly like to acknowledge and include the kids more and more in our public worship services. We are beginning a four-week series today on the book of Jonah, and this will take us to the end of January. We're just doing a chapter a week, and so it's a great story. It's a wonderful story. I encourage you to read it. Many of you would have read it and know the story, but maybe you haven't. Then grab your Bible and or look it up online and, and read it through. It's a very well-told story. There are certainly bits of humour in it and there are strange things in it. And, of course, it's famous for because of the whale. And everybody knows it wasn't a whale that swallowed Jonah. It was a big fish. And everybody thinks that's what it's about. That's not what it's about at all. That's a very minor part to this very significant story. Some people think it's a myth or it's fiction, it's a parable or a story or an allegory. I think the book of Jonah is history. It's about real people, real places and a real event. Um, Assyria is the world empire at this time and from about, they were in power from about 900 BC to about 600 BC, roughly. And Jonah is after about the first 100 years, 120 years of the start of the Assyrian kingdom. So he's round about 800 to 750 in that range, okay? And in 30 years after Jonah, Assyria will invade Israel and carry off the top 10 tribes. That's just a big overview in the context of how this story fits together. Let's pray and then let's jump in. <laughs> Thanks, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity we have to be able to worship you to gather together as a family and to hear your word, both in song, but also through scripture. Lord, give us ears to hear, minds to discern, and may your will become clearer and clearer for us. And Lord, please help us, not like Jonah, to run away from your will, but rather to embrace it. We ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Jonah refused to obey. That sort of summarises the chapter of where it's at. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We are told that he is the son of Amittai. And the word was, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me, God says. Let me just, first of all, give a little bit more background to this man, Jonah, the son of Amittai. We read about him in one other place in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings. We are told, this is 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. And I've edited a few verses around it to make it read like sensible English this morning. Jeroboam, it's Jeroboam II, he's the king of the northern tribes of Israel in the north. He became king in Samaria and he restored, successfully, he reigned for about 41 years, he restored the borders, the boundaries of Israel had shrunk over time and through a prophecy of Jonah uh, that when he came to power, it actually says, uh, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepha. So we're told his father's name, we're told where he is from, Gath Hepha, it's near Nazareth, not very far, overlooks 
a significant place called Megiddo in uh, the land of Israel. So he grew up on this international center. If you wanted to travel in the ancient world, you want to go from Europe down to Arabia, you would tra travel through this section of Israel, particularly around Megiddo, and then down to Arabia. If you wanted to go from Egypt, you would come up, up through Israel, through Megiddo, and then you would head north and then across to the east, to wherever you wanted to go, to the east. And so Israel is dead centre of this international trade route that's going on. That's where God has his people. And in the midst of that, God raises up different people, very ordinary people, but God gave them a very extraordinary gift. They were prophets, men and women, and they would hear from God, whether from through the ear or whether it was in the mind or whether it was just into the spirit. Either way, mind, spirit, eventually it would come out the mouth. And the prophets that God raised up would speak God's word to the people. They were both words of correction rebuke if they were doing something wrong, but also words of comfort to encourage them in the ways of doing God's will. Jonah was one such prophet. He walked with God. He was a spiritual leader of his time. He was filled with the spirit of God and he spoke words from God. He would have been greatly esteemed by the people in his community. We know from this that this is in his earlier days that he was a prophet who was successful. What he said happened. And the land of Israel expanded back to its old boundaries, north and south. Um, and then in latter years, we're not sure how far later, but in latter years, after this time of success, the word of the Lord comes to him again. And God says to him, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has come up before me couple of things to note. In sending Jonah to this city of Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrian Empire had been expanding its territory. Just after Jonah, they will invade and conquer Egypt, they will invade and conquer Israel, and in about 120 years after Jonah, 150 years after Jonah, they will in turn be conquered by Babylon. Nineveh is a massive city. Go to that great city, one of the greatest cities in the ancient world at this time. It took, the book of Jonah tells us, three days to cross it. It was approximately 100 kilometres around the circumference. It was surrounded by a huge wall which were 30 metres tall. And then every 50 metres, 100 metres, there was a tower which was 60 metres tall. So it was a fortress. And it was big enough that inside there was not only about one to two million people, but there were also farmlands and um, the ability to sustain and grow crops even while you were being invaded on the outside. It was a great city. The book of Jonah tells us at the end there were 120,000 people who didn't know their left from their right, infants little kids, 120,000 of them. If you do the maths, that works out to be 1.5 to 2 million, approximately. It's a great city, a terrible city. Its wickedness has come up before me. The Assyrians were the terror of all the nations. They were known for their brutality. You can research this, Google it if you want to, but you better not have a queasy tummy because these guys mastered the art of cruelty. 
And later on, about 150 years later, another prophet named Nahum, in chapter 3, he will describe Nineveh as a city of blood, of piling bodies high. Um, they're just a brutal, cruel people. I don't know who you would think of to associate with this, but think of like drug cartels or uh, gangs that are just violent and dominant. They're terrorists and they're torturers. And this is the boundaries of the Assyrian Empire were expanding and around about the time of Jonah, they stop and the king becomes a very weak king in Assyria. And that's the time when Jonah is going to go and preach. Go to that great city Nineveh and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. Please note, this is a Gentile city and its sin still comes before God. God notices all sin. <coughs> Excuse me, nothing escapes his notice. He is aware of everything that is going on. <clears throat> and he says to Jonah, I want you to preach against it, cry against it, go and rebuke them for their sin. And Jonah puts two and two together because he's a prophet and he's done this before. He's seen what God does. And if you have your Bible, if you don't, just remember this reference. People speculate about because what's Jonah's response to this? Well, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. Went down to Joppa, found a ship, bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard to sail for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What's Jonah's response? No, thank you. He didn't like the idea when he heard it. Has God ever said anything to you that you didn't like? Well, certainly that's Jonah's experience. And it, it, he moves from being reluctant to actually refusing. Made his plans, packed his bags, and he was going to head west. Nineveh was about 900 kilometres north and to the east. Tarshish was 4,000 kilometres west, as far west as he could possibly go. Why was he so reluctant to be obedient to God, whereas he had been before in his life? People can speculate, but really, we are not given a reason there. And ultimately, there is no good reason to justify anyone's disobeying the call of God or the word of God. And so people come up with all different sorts of reasons, but Jonah himself gives us something that he says at this time to God, which is part of the motivation behind it. This is Jonah chapter 4, and it says he prayed to the Lord. This is where he's preached, and it's been successful. Now he's outside the city, and he's looking back, and he's cranky, and he's talking to God, and he says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why... This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. I've had enough. Why did he flee? He didn't want to go and tell the bad, wicked, terrorizing tyrants of Nineveh 
that they had 40 days to go before God judged them. He didn't want to deliver that message. Why not? Because he knew that when he delivered the message, God would do something with it. And God would change their hearts. And they would then repent. And then God would forgive them. And I don't want them forgiven. I want God to judge them, wipe them out. No deal, I'm leaving. So he does, packs his bags. Packs his best shirts, best shoes, takes his best books, his credit card and everything else, and off he went. You can identify a little bit with Jonah because it was a horrible mission from his earthly, worldly perspective. It certainly exposes his heart attitude towards the Ninevites, towards lost people, about criminals and tyrants and bad people, the book of Jonah shows us that God has a passion for all people, even the really bad ones. He is a God of mercy and kindness who wants to extend grace if people will just receive it. And he will take the worst of the worst and transform them. And we think that's wonderful, unless those tyrants are picking on us. Imagine saying to a Jewish pastor who lived in New York City back in the 1940s, imagine God said to that Jewish pastor, I want you to go to Berlin and I want you to preach against it. Wouldn't want to go, would you? What about to an Aussie pastor or missionary in Australia in the 1940s? I want you to go to Tokyo in Japan. They're our national enemies at that time. So Jonah ran away. He was going to Tarshish as far as he could possibly go with no ultimately good reason except his own very bad attitude. Please note this, he went down to Joppa. When he got to Joppa, which is on the sea coast, on the coast, it's a seaport, Jaffa, he just happened to find a ship which was going to the very place he wanted to go, right at the end of the Mediterranean, hang a right and it's on the coast of Spain. You couldn't get any further away from where he was then in that known world. Coincidental, rebelling and the doors open. There'll always be the opportunity laid out before you when you disobey God, that opportunity to be explored, to extend it. God lets us make choices, good choices, bad choices, dumb choices he lets us do it he'll even allow the way open God could have stopped him right there and then but God had another plan he had something else that he was going to be involved in doing and I want you to notice this Jonah just coincidentally found the ship and he went down and he paid the price when you disobey God you pay for it he had to pay the fare when we disobey God then it costs us as well. When we're running from God and his will for our life, and it'll affect us. It could affect us financially. It could affect our health. It could affect us in terms of our time, our joy, our peace. When we run from God like Jonah does, we pay. I wonder if you're running from God. Jonah certainly was. What's God's response to all of this? Then the Lord The NIV very tamely says, sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
When it says God sent a great wind, the Hebrew is a little bit more picturesque. He hurled a great wind. And who's he aiming at? Jonah. When we disobey God, when we run from God, and God institutes discipline against us, and if you're God's child, son or daughter, there will be discipline. Hebrews chapter 12. The father disciplines those whom he loves, the son he loves, the child he loves. If God is not disciplining you, then that might be because you're not his kid. You're somebody else's kid. That's worth thinking about. When God was disciplining Jonah, and because Jonah was disobedient, our disobedience affects those we are closely associated with and others. It'll certainly affect the crew and the cargo and everything else on this ship because of Jonah's rebellion. But there must have been other ships in the Mediterranean at this time caught up in this same storm. And they had no idea where this came from. For them, it's just a storm that happens at sea. But this is a special storm, as we learn from the book of Jonah. So God's response is to begin to act. And it's worth noting that God, when he works, doesn't just work directly and do one thing. He often works both ends at the same time. He achieves this in terms of discipline of Jonah, but he's also going to receive this in terms of converting the crew out of the same storm. That's what God does in our lives. That he can be doing something in our life, which is a response to something else that's going on in somebody else's life or vice versa. So in the midst of all of these things, what do we need to do? Trust him. This is some storm because this ship is starting to creak and to break up. And all the sailors were afraid. They'd had storms before, but this was a big one and it's going to get worse. And then each of them cried out to their God. That's interesting, isn't it? These are unbelievers, but they believe in the gods. And they believe somehow that what happens in this world is linked with something somebody does. So they're praying to the gods for help and trying to discern what's going on. And then, of course, they're not just praying. They are throwing the cargo overboard into the sea to try and lighten the ship. What's Jonah doing? He's down below. He's sound asleep. Because that's what disobedience also does. When you run from God, like David did, Psalm 32, you'll find that you are exhausted. Your body will start to waste away. You won't be healthy, you won't be happy, you'll be miserable. And it's only in stopping and repenting and turning back to God that the joy will return to your life and health will return to you. All the sailors were afraid and they're trying their best to do whatever they can. But Jonah is checked out. He went down below into the ship. He lay down and he went into a very deep sleep. Where did he go? Wherever nobody could find him. He had checked out. Disconnected from God, disconnected from people. Here is the prophet, the believer, asleep. They're on deck praying, he's asleep. They're on deck crying out to God, he's asleep, he's ignoring it. They're in danger of their lives and he's totally unaware of it and so is he. He has checked out. He's not going to do what God wants him to do, doesn't really matter. He's resistant all the way. Then... 
humorously. It's the captain who comes looking for him. The captain's not a believer. And the captain says to the prophet, you should pray. What are you doing down here? Get up and call on your God. Maybe that God will be able to do something so that we won't perish. Does Jonah pray? There's no record of it. Do you think Jonah would have spoken to the God that he's running away from? No way. Because if you pray, you set off a GPS system and God will be able to find you. And Jonah's not having any of that. So then back on deck, the sailors then said to each other, come on, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and in the providence of God, the lot falls on Jonah. God is after Jonah. He's going to get him. God is after you. And he'll get you too. So they cast lots. I don't know what the lots were. Did they take a dice and roll it? You know, pick a number? One to six. If you're number one, then it's you. And number one doesn't come up. Did they do that? Did they take straws and you draw straws and the short straws? I don't know. Different coloured stones, pick as one and... However they did it, for them it worked out that Jonah was the person who was responsible for it. He knows he's responsible for it. Now they know he's responsible for it. And so they say to him, just in the providence of God, God exposed his sin to them. Why did God expose his sin? Because God loves him. When God exposes your sin, it's because he loves you. If you're a parent, you catch your kids doing the wrong thing, expose their sin. Tell the pastoral staff all about it. Tell the kids you're going to tell the pastors. Best thing you can do, discipline your children. Guide them. Because children naturally will go off course. They need parents to bring them back on course. Your job as a parent is to love them and to care for them, not to be their friend, to be their parent. And as you do that well, then they will love you and you will be their friend. Too many parents want to be their kids' friends and not want to discipline them. Let's go back to the book of Jonah. So they asked him, who was responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What country are you from? What job do you do? They're grilling him. He says... Some truths, some falsehoods. I am a Hebrew. That's true. And I worship the Lord. That's not true. That's half true. The word worship literally means to fear or to serve. And I serve the Lord. No, you don't. Way back in the beginning, depending on your English translation too, it said, Jonah went down to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Is a bad translation. You can't flee from the presence of the Lord. Literally, it says, Jonah went down to Tarshish to free from standing before the Lord. I'm fleeing from being his servant. I stand before the God of Israel. I am a Hebrew. I fear, serve, worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the God who made the sea. And the sailors go, pardon? The God who made the sea and the dry land. That's what terrified them. Your God made the sea? Your God is responsible for this storm? What did you do? He'd already told them that he was running away from the Lord. 
the sea was getting rougher and rougher. They're having a conversation and things are going downhill quick. So they asked him, what, this is always a good question to ask in the midst of a crisis, what should we do? How do we fix this? Well, the correct answer is, well, Jonah should have said, I need to repent and return and obey God. You guys should also repent and turn to God, forsake your idols and trust him. That's the correct answer. What does Jonah say? What are we going to do? Pick me up and throw me overboard. Then it'll become calm for you. Jonah is still stubbornly defiant and rebellious against God's call on his life. Kill me. End my life. If you do that, the storm will grow calm. They're horrified. horrified. I know that it's my fault, he confesses to them. Instead, they're not going to commit murder. They tried rowing as hard as they possibly could, the row. We can do it. We can rely on ourselves and we can save the boat and save this guy. But they could not because the sea got wilder and wilder. God was turning up the pressure. Eventually, verse 14, these unbelieving crew, Gentile crew, isn't it interesting? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to tell Gentiles there about God's judgment and forgiveness. But now here on the ship, God is going to, through Jonah, save these Gentiles um, to come to believe and receive God's forgiveness on the boat. How God works. So they cried out to the Lord. They're now praying to God. Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing this man. You, Lord, you've done as you pleased. Dear God, for what we are about to do, please forgive us. You did it. You set this up. And so they do. The last thing, last resort, they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. How do you think Jonah was when they grabbed him? Do you think he was resisting? I don't. I think he was saying, do it. I want this over. He's rebellious. So they took him over. As soon as he hits the water, the raging sea grew calm. And the calmness of the water, immediately after throwing him overboard, scared them even more. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to him and they made vows. These guys had, been, had their life turned around. That's why God sent the storm. He wanted to turn Jonah around and he wanted to turn their lives around to come into a right relationship with him. God at work in the world through a storm, through a crisis, through a difficulty that he can stop, that he can control we do live in a complex and confusing world. We don't live in a world which is dominated by random chance. Accidents happen. Time and chance happen to all. But God knows all that can be known. He knows all possibilities and all probabilities. He lets each person make free choices, good, bad and stupid. And he directs the course of the nations. He is in control. He raises up and he puts down, he intervenes, he oversees. He is working all things for good for those who love him. How he does that is beyond us. He's just revealed to us through his word, the scriptures, that that's what he does. So they throw Jonah overboard. They turn to God. 
They offer a sacrifice and then they make vows. The order is a significant. This is not a foxhole conversion experience where they say, God, if you get us out of this, then we'll serve you all the days of our life. It's not that. It's after the storm has stopped. It's after the calm. It's then they make a vow. Then they make the commitment because they have been delivered, because they have been saved, if you like. We didn't read verse 17, and the reason we didn't, because I don't know why it's in the English, but the Hebrew text actually, verse 17 is the first verse of chapter 2. And so the story continues. But you know God isn't finished with Jonah. You know that he's thrown overboard, and you know that a great fish God has prepared is going to swallow him. Um, And that story continues. Next week, chapter 2, have a read of it. It's only a short chapter. But it's Jonah praying in the water and inside the fish. Question, did he die? Have a read, a very careful read of the passage and then we'll have a look at that next week. You have to bear in mind, Jonah is the one who wrote this book. This book is about a man who is looking back over his life and telling the audience, us, a very honest statement about his rebellion, about his refusal to live a God-submitted life and what God did in response to it. The book of Jonah is written to challenge us to consider our ways that we also need to live a God-centred life. How do we do that? Well, continually make yourself available to God. Don't run from God. Keep your heart submissive to him. If you can say to him, Lord, I will do anything that you want me to do. I will go anywhere that you want me to go. And I'm available 24-7. I'll do it at any time. A heart submissive to God. It's good to have plans and dreams, and particularly at the beginning of a new year, but take your plans and your dreams and keep them on the altar of God. This is in submission, Lord, to your will, to your purposes, to what you're going to do. And God who is at work is sovereign. A year from today, things are going to be different for many of us. Some of us will be in a different place. Some of us were doing a different job. Some of us might even be in another part of the world. Some of us may be worshipping and serving in a different church. Keep your plans and dreams on the altar of God. Keep your heart submissive to him. Let him work his purposes out in your life. God works both ends, correcting, disciplining and converting. In the midst of all things, hold tightly to the truth that God is sovereign. And bear in mind that if you want to flee to Tarshish, there will always be a ship waiting for you. If you want to rebel against God and run from his will for your life, circumstances will line up that will enable it and encourage it. But the God you're running from will pursue you in his grace and mercy. And if he doesn't pursue you, well, that will be a horrible end. There was a movie 
I think this event happened back in the... They're called Sully with Tom Hanks as the actor. Have you seen this movie? Remarkable story of a pilot who lands a, a, a large uh, airline carrier onto uh, the Hudson River in New York City. And he gets examined and there's all sorts of complications going on. But coming out of that is this statement. What matters most is not what you pray when the plane is going down. What matters most is not what you pray when the plane is going down. What matters most is what you pray after the plane has landed. These sailors, after the storm, made a vow. That's that heart yielded to God, that you're sovereign and you're in control and my life is now dedicated to following and serving you. May that be our response as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, for this story of Jonah and for his experiences and what we can learn from it. Lord, continue to give us ears to hear you. Recall to our minds parts of this story that have truth that you want us to embrace and to respond to. Lord, for those of us who are running or we know someone who's running from you, please pursue them. Bring pressure to bear on their life that they might turn back to you. Lord, regardless of where we are, whether we are seeking you or trying to serve you, I pray that you might continue to direct the circumstances and situations of our life and that you might enable us to trust you completely, fully, that you are the sovereign God working your purposes out. Your will be done. And everybody said, May the Lord.